Uh, um, so how much is that? Welcome to the podcast, Editor Mastermind. I'm Jennifer Longworth. I'm Daniel Abendroth. I'm Brian Ensminger. And I'm Carrie Caulfield, Eric. And Carrie did a little informal poll asking folks what they'd want to hear about on this show. And what did you find out, Carrie? I found out that people wanted to know about getting clients more than anything else, which kind of surprised me because I thought people would want to know like stuff about like how do I work during COVID and all those kind of other things. But nope, they want to know still about getting clients. I think that's the most common question. So we thought that we might share with you all how we got our first clients. So who wants to start? Um, I think Daniel should start. Yeah, I, th- I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Daniel, um, you've been nominated. <laughs> <laughs> a little embarrassing, but I actually got my start on Fiverr, of all places, charging $5 to edit an episode regardless of length. <gasps> regardless of length? Yeah. Fortunately, like, they were never like more than 30 minutes, so I guess it wasn't as bad as it could have been, but I was definitely way, uh, like, charging way less than I should have. So my first client ever was a podcast called Our Brains, Your Business, something like that, something weird. I did one episode and then never heard from him again. He never uploaded another episode. He never did anything else. And then my next two clients I'm actually working with still, but charging much more than the $5. Like, they've Gone. They're still paying less than like my my base rate just because they've been with me so long and I've gotten a lot of work because of them, but they aren't paying the five dollars anymore. So you mentioned that they're still paying less than your current rate for new new clients. Mm-hmm. What's your perspective on rate increases? So you've got somebody that's been with you for a while. You you appreciate them, but you've also invested in education, in tools, in experience. Mm-hmm. What's your perspective on rate increases? So. There's a difference between what I think I should do and what I feel comfortable doing because I think I should like raise my clients' rates so I can keep them at the same level and just kind of match like what my going rate is. But I, I have a hard time arbitrary. Like I know like my education, like I've gotten better, um, but that do- doesn't always like come across. Like my clients may not see that, you know, because they're not hearing it. So it's, it's kind of difficult for me to, on my end, justify just like raising their rates for doing essentially the same kind of work. But fortunately, they've been really cool about like explaining, you know, understanding like, you know, because they're all in business as well. So they know like prices go up. But I, I was in the process of like trying to get all my clients on my new rates. But now I have a whole nother conundrum because I don't feel comfortable raising rates during the pandemic right now. Right. Yeah, but I don't feel comfortable dropping rates either. And I just read no. somebody drop their rates. I think it was a larger company, though, so they probably do a lot of volume, but they drop their rates down to like something like $35 an episode. We're working on offering like a promo right now to launch. So it's like a look like it's a special price. Like my my monthly rates aren't lowering, but I'm offering like a special discount. For people who want to start right now, yeah, for it's a, it's a one-off launch package. So if yeah. they do that, there's a little bit of a discount. And then, like if anything, like I'm not going to lower my rates, but I might offer something extra for free. Like maybe like I'll throw in an audiogram for free, or just something little, just a little extra at a discount, but not actually discounting like my 
current rates. Does that make sense? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I don't want to like devalue my work. I mean, that's the challenge, right? Because lowering your rates to help people that are trying to launch something right now or to help people through this can feel like a loss leader. But at the same time, it can set a precedent where you start negotiating against yourself without any input, right? So I, I know of people that have intentionally gone out and said, hey, we know that you're likely facing some difficulty right now, so we would like to offer you this during this time, which is incredibly generous. However, it may not actually be needed. And so, like, where do you start drawing the line where you go, okay, I can offer this to somebody or I should wait for them to ask for it, but I won't offer it to this other person. Like, it starts to get really weird. And I'm not quite sure that I have it fully worked out in my head. It just makes me feel really generous to to be able to do something like that if I was one of those people. But at the same time, it makes me wonder if I was the customer, is there a reason that they couldn't previously do this? Yeah, let's say that you're charging 75 an episode for a basic edit. I'm making up numbers and you drop your rate to 35 for a month or two to help everybody out. Does your rate need to go back up? Like that's the next question for me is like, thanks a lot. But now should I be paying more than double as soon as we get done with this? That's a really good point. So I was having this conversation with my husband last night about all the companies that are offering things for free that I am currently paying for. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And yet they they didn't offer it to me for free. And on the one hand, I get it. It helps what I'm paying helps subsidize everybody else. But on the other hand, like I'm going through this too, right? And what I think is going to happen and what I suspect will happen after all of this pandemic stuff is that they will then increase their rates because now they've hooked people right into their service, into like Netflix or Hulu or what have you. And now they've got a million more subscribers and they're making up for the lost profits by charging everybody an extra dollar. And I don't think that's necessarily a nice business practice. Although it's like helpful, but also in the helpful in the short term, hurtful in the long term, essentially, because they're just going to make me angry and I'm going to like them less. <laughs> so that's how I like if, if I was a customer and you decided to cut your rates by over half or even half. My first question is like, well, you, if you can do this now, how come you didn't do it before? Right. And then when you're going to charge me like regular rate later, I may go look for somebody else because I got used to paying that rate. So I'll sacrifice a little bit of quality to go find somebody who can give me a 50 percent <laughs> that that 50 percent, you know, off your price. So what I have done personally is just had the conversation with my clients that, look, I'm here for you. If you need anything, if something needs to change, talk, let's talk about it. Right. And I've already had some of those uh, conversations like, well, what happens if we don't have any income coming in and I can no longer pay you? Right. So I've given them ideas of what they can do and just made it very clear that, you know, I will do as much as I can to help you out, even if it's, you know, delaying payment. And I gave them ideas to what they could do to keep the show going if they had to, like, pause my services. And I think that's probably more helpful than just giving a quick discount, right? Yeah. And that's something similar to what I'm 
comfortable offering if it comes to that, right? So I, most of my clients are um, due upon receipt. So I yeah. send the invoice and it's due that day. Most of them have set up pre-authorized payment. So the invoice goes out, it's paid without anybody ever touching it. What I am comfortable doing is going, okay, if cash flow is an issue, what would happen if we could go to net 15 instead of due on receipt, right? So you can hang on to the, the cash for an extra 15 days to keep your business running, but that then it still hits the, the P&L, right? And it might hit the wrong month, but I haven't addressed, I haven't actually changed the rate. I've just changed the payment terms. Right. And I'm not going to hassle anybody for a late payment right now. I'm just not because. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to raise your late payment rate to like 200 or something. I was, you know what, right before this, I was like considering it because it was, you know, but then I, I knew something was happening, obviously, because this became a problem where it wasn't before. But yeah, that, so that's how I'm basically dealing with it. And, and I thought it was really weird, though, that I saw that company just like they had this whole thing about how they were cutting rates. And I, I'm like, that's I don't know that that's helpful. Right. I don't know that helps. That solves a problem for anybody that just gets them more like volume business. I'm repackaging right now is is what I'm doing. I, I had a launch package for X amount of dollars, but it also included studio time and these many episodes edited. And, and instead of doing that package, found a lower price point, but also a lot less is included in that package. And I kind of tested it out with a couple who wants to start a podcast, but doesn't need everything that was in the first package anyway. And then kind of came up with this new thing. I went, oh, well, maybe I should have a lower price point for people who don't need everything, but also going into what you guys are saying right now. It's not discounting my services per se. It's still, you know, value for what I'm giving, but it's, you know, more manageable for some people. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's totally awesome. And I've been looking into ways, too, to make the services cheaper. Like, what can I do? to make it affordable. And one of the things I can do is, is hand off a show from beginning to end to uh, one of my team members, have them do the bulk of the work. And that way that keeps the rate lower. All I need to do is review it, send it back to them if there's a problem, but it's, it reduces my workload, which is, you know, my time is more expensive, obviously. And so that has allowed me to drop some prices on some services. So, Brian, how did yeah. you get your first client? <laughs> so, Daniel was talking about starting out on Fiverr. <laughs> I actually started my first editing client for absolutely nothing. And it's actually, it was, it was an interesting story. And this isn't something that I recommend as a client acquisition strategy. So, I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm just, gonna, I'm just sharing the reality of what happened, right? So, I had a man who was a guest on my first podcast, The Engaging Missions Show, and we kind of hit it off, and he had some background in radio. And he said, hey, I still, I've kind of got the itch to get back into this. I did radio back in the, I want to say it was 80s or 90s, back in the day when I would have been listening to radio too. And he said, how about I produce a one to two minute segment for your show? So we'll drop it in because at the time, my show was structured in three big chunks with short breaks in between. I didn't do ads, but if I had, that's where they would have gone. And so he said, okay, well, we'll fill one of those slots with this leadership moment 
the leadership minute or whatever we called it, that you're going to produce. And so he would record that, but then he doesn't have the editing background. So then that would come in. And at the time I was working with an editor, so I would have him do that. I would usually do a pre-edit and then send that off and it would all get stitched together because the editor that I was paying was really being paid to edit my show and not this other guy's stuff. So I would try to get it cleaned up and we would work with that. But then, I don't know, maybe six months or so into that, he said, hey, I'm having trouble keeping these down to a minute. What happens if we just break this off and make it its own podcast? So we talked that one through and we took all of the previous segments that he had produced. And I want to say it was something like 30 or so. We took all of those and we immediately backpopulated his podcast feed. And then he launched his own show with way more than the recommended one to three to <laughs> 20 or whatever, depending on what guru you listen to. He launched it with more than that. But we got that show launched. And then I edited that for him for quite some time. And it was, oh, probably six months or a year into editing his show for him that I really wanted to level up my game. And so then that's when I invested in Chris Curran's podcast engineering school, learned a lot more, uh, picked up some tools. And he did a lot of on-location type recording. So I want to kind of paint the picture for you because this isn't what I recommend, but the reality is I was editing a show for free that was very often recorded on location in less than ideal situations. So on a farm in Mexico, in a van, on the way to like a, a lot of difficult stuff. And so what happened was that I got really, really good at working with some of the repair tools like Isotopes RX-7. I got pretty good at matching levels, EQ, and that kind of stuff. And even though I had some background in editing and I had gone through podcast engineering school, this was the show that allowed me to really level up my game as an editor. And then he launched a second show, and then a little while into that, I started picking up other clients and then also started charging him. So I'd been producing his show for a while, and then we brought him on board. He'd been asking for a while, hey, what should I pay you? And I didn't have an answer for him because I didn't really know. And so then I brought him on, and he then became the client that I started for free that now has two shows and has transitioned to paying me along with the other clients that I have. Hey, Brian, so I'm Mikhail, I'm sorry if I butchered yeah. your name. I'm sorry. Do you see his comment? Are you I using do. are you using now what you've been taught at Chris Curran school? <laughs> All the time. Tell him about the mule. <laughs> a couple of horses, a couple of mules. Is that what you're going for? <laughs> yeah. I know. We need a berry. <laughs> so I picked up a number of things from the podcast engineering school, one of which was a really good handle on workflow. So I like I said, I had some background in music. I actually went to school to be a music teacher, so I, and I'd played in bands, and I'd mixed live sound. Like, I'd done all of that kind of stuff, but what I didn't have was a really good workflow. And so not only did I pick up a few things about the fundamentals and some of the tools and the tips and stuff, but I also picked up the workflow where using a tool like RX-7, before I start editing anything, I go through and I do an assessment of what I've got, and I do the audio repair. Then I bring it in, and I assemble all the pieces and do the EQ and the compression and the normalization, and then I go through later and do the bulk and the detailed editing and then the mastering stages. So I use that kind of stuff all the time. I use what I picked up in terms of how I work with the tools. Um, Isotope, I use Ozone, I use the Fab Filter Pro-Q, I use several of the Waves and some other plugins. 
I don't use Reaper, which is the software that he prefers. I use Hindenburg, which is the software that I prefer. Uh, Daniel's a Reaper guy. I'm a Hindenburg guy, and Carrie and Jennifer are audition. But the that tool is really more a matter of preference. But what I did pick up was a really good understanding of that. And then having been part of the first class, I've also had the advantage of being part of his community in, this, in a Slack group where we have access to him through that group. We have Hangouts. Uh, we have the occasional tutorial that he puts together for us. But then as other people come through, not only do I get to share what I've learned, which helps reinforce it for me, but I get to pick up from some of the stuff that they're learning because I was part of the first class. And while it was great, I'm certain that several classes later, Chris has gotten better too. And so <laughs> I get the benefit of that through them. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I, and I want to take his class too, or his, I don't even know. It doesn't, seems like more than a class. It seems like a course. It's, it's a cult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely on my to-do list. Yeah. It's a save up for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it really is solid. I, oh, I totally believe it. I've just learned a lot from just listening to him. So, so that's my story. Who's next? Carrie's next because I'm uh, emceeing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Look at you. Uh, so my first client was from Upwork. Nice. And I think I charged something like sixty dollars an episode uh, to start. But good for to you to start. But I was doing the show notes. I was doing the newsletter. Mm -hmm. I was Whoa. doing the blog posts. I was. Oh, okay. That uh, changes things. <laughs> yeah. Inviting. <laughs> I was even like sourcing guests. I mean, I was and I'm creating all the images. So I was pretty much doing everything. <laughs> and I still, I still do most of that for this show today. However, he is up to my normal rate. And this was, I started with him. We started together actually, because he was my first client uh, almost three years ago now. And I can get his show done in about a, a couple hours, all of it from beginning to end, <laughs> from editing to like making the blog post. So now it all makes sense financially. But uh, yeah, I had put out like, I think I wrote a, like 100 proposals on Upwork one day. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's a numbers game, quite frankly. Yeah. And I talked to a lot of people, and he just happened to pick me. So, uh, it yeah, it was really cool to be able to grow together. And now, actually, he is putting out extra episodes, so I'm getting paid even more <laughs> this month, <laughs> <laughs> which is nice. But, yeah, it was hard finding those first clients, I think, and my skills, I was still using Audacity. I was still figuring out what I was doing. I think finding a good first client is really important if you're going to put it, you know, uh, to put in, you got to put in sweat equity to some degree. Like I like your story, Brian, where, where you just started out really small and, you know, it turned into something like it got you to where you are now, even though you didn't you didn't get paid for it. <laughs> I think there's value in that though, because I think it's, it's so if, if it doesn't work out, there's nothing, you don't lose anything. Yeah. And like, I got lucky with some of my earlier clients because I had one who forced me to charge her more because <laughs> she didn't feel comfortable with what I was charging her. Mm. Um, and wow. she really encouraged me to like raise my rates, but I didn't feel like 
it's kind of a thank you. I'm like, I don't want to raise your rates. And then she's like, I can't, I couldn't sleep last night because I felt bad about what you're charging me. So please raise my rates and <laughs> like cool. charge me like back. Like she wanted me to kind of retroactively bill her for like all the episode I worked on her, worked for, um, that I edited for her at like the higher rate. So, and then it was like one other that was just like, you need to charge more and like, here's how you do. Like she was really like in the business world. So like a lot of my clients have like helped me along the way. So there is value in that. And I will say, Carrie, you're talking about how like with Upwork and like, you know, these gig marketplaces, it's a numbers game. And that's why I don't really recommend starting the way I did because like I was charging like dirt cheap rates for a very long time. And now like I rank pretty well. So it's kind of, I know I can charge a lot more and I still get some traction, but like on Fiverr, you have to like charge very little and like constantly put out proposals and like look at the buyer requests, they call it. And it put, you have to put in a lot of work and like a lot of people are doing the same thing. So it takes a lot of grind to get to the point where your listing stands out. Yeah, it, it seems like, so three years ago when I started, it was much different on mm -hmm. Upwork and they've changed their policies. I have a team member who I paid through Upwork. I found him through Upwork a while ago and it was like, you know, I got lucky with him, but it's a little bit more expensive for me to, if I want to hire anybody on Upwork. Daniel, you just got a question on here. How little was your dirt cheap price? Uh, $5. Um, like I started, you know, it's Fiverr. So I was like, yeah, do anything for $5. Like I was editing like 30 minute episodes for five bucks and I did that for way too long, but not anymore. And like now it's like, it's pretty, like I, I'm still on Fiverr, but the minimum I charge for like really simple editing is $50. And that's really just to kind of, I use it to weed out the, the people that I don't want to work with because with Fiverr, like you get a lot of people that want to spend $5 for professional work mm -hmm. and they see my listing and immediately go somewhere else because there are cheaper options out there. But the people that do end up messaging me understand the value and I'm not wasting my time dealing with everybody else. And I, yeah, Fiverr has changed a lot as well because now they actually have a category specifically for podcast editing that didn't exist, you know, a year ago, I think. Uh, with my first clients. When I realized that I was doing so much and being very underpaid for it, I sat down and did the math to figure out how much money I was making per hour and how much money I was going to have to pay on in taxes and expenses on it. And I had a very frank conversation with this client and I could because he's a wonderful person. So that made it a lot easier. So I knew that I was going to need to raise my rates. I had kind of a target in mind. I wanted to kind of do $25 an hour. And when I showed him the math, he couldn't believe it. Like he just, he, he literally just didn't, didn't know. And he was almost like embarrassed that he was paying me so little for all that work. So he really had no problem like paying me more and having me do less for mm. him so that I could get a fair wage from him because I wasn't making minimum wage. That wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. minimum wage here in Delaware is $7.25 or was $7.25 at the time. I was not making that. <laughs> so, 
be, you know, sitting down, doing the math, calculating it and showing that math to my client was really eye opening. And so now he's he pays everybody he works with a little bit better, I think, because because he had that kind of eye opening experience. I had that eye opening experience. So, you know, I try to pay my contractors a fair wage as well. Yeah. And you raise an interesting point, right? that this is something that Chris mentioned in podcast engineering school that I didn't do right off. I track for every episode that I edit, I track how long it takes me to do that. So I track how much time goes into audio repair and restoration, how much time goes into mixing and editing, how much time goes into mastering and rendering. And then if there are any additional services like uploading or um, there are a couple where I will add the show notes that they write and I'll upload them and I'll schedule everything in WordPress for them. I track all of that so that I know how much time it's taking me for the different editing styles that I offer and the different links of the shows. And then I also understand in rough numbers about how much I make per hour on every show and for every editing style. And that way I can understand if there are places in my pricing where Maybe I can trim the fat a tiny bit, so to speak, to make sure that I stay competitive for what I'm offering. But also if there are places where I'm doing more than needs to be done or it's taking longer, then I can look at, you know, are there ways that I need to look at reducing the time that's required? Or is this something where I need to have a conversation the next time we come up for contract renewal to go, hey, I've been offering this at this rate, but based on where we are right now, I need to make the rates this in order to keep them competitive. Yeah, that's a really good tip. And and I don't do it like consistently, but I will do time studies and I will figure out where I'm spending my time and how much it's costing me to spend my time in those places, essentially. Although I hate doing math so much that I'm sure you have a spreadsheet for it, Brian. I do. I have a Google Doc. <laughs> and it's got lots and lots of rows now. <laughs> One row for every episode. So do you have like wow. the calculations, like the formulas for that? Because I... What do you mean? So like, do, is it a spreadsheet or a doc? Uh, it's a Google spreadsheet, yeah. Okay. Do you have like, do you calculate... Like, so I can't do math in a spreadsheet. That's how bad I am. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I can do some. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess I'll just... At a high level, I have different clients, and some clients have more than one show. So I'll have a reference to what client it is, what show that it is, and then the actual episode information. And then I'll put information in there around what editing style that they've requested. So whether it's a, a streamlined edit or an expert edit or something like that, whatever that is that they've requested, the date that I got it, the date that they wanted it delivered back to them. So that gives me a an understanding of whether or not they're complying with my standard turnaround time or not. And if they start, if it, it happens too much that they're looking for something faster than we may need to look at reviewing that. My practice is I will always turn it around as fast as I can, but I do ask for a certain amount of time. And then I also pay attention to when I actually delivered it back to them. I track um, how long the raw audio was, how long the raw audio was, if they'd give many edits to clip portions out that I don't actually have to listen to and edit, and then how long it was when I was done. And then I, I track uh, how much time went into the audio repair. So a as an example, I had one that I was working on yesterday, I think, where it was three tracks, 35 minutes total length, roughly. And the audio repair for those three tracks took over 30 minutes, right? So if, if I think about 
a four to one ratio, I would expect maybe somewhere in the range of one and a half to two hours total edit time for everything, just kind of what I figured that I would want to put into that. But when I spend 30 minutes in audio repair because of the quality of the original recordings, then that becomes a factor that I might need to consider when we start talking about rates again. So I do all of that. And then based on that, I can understand because I know how much I should be making on that episode based on what I'm charging, not including taxes, just like gross receipts, then I can say, okay, based on this, for my time that went into it, I got this much per hour. And I can average that out over a time period. But then I can also start to understand, okay, based on the duration of the tracks that I was given and the number of tracks, I make about this much per minute of raw audio. That's not something I've really dug into, but that's another way that I can look at it in case I need to look at different pricing models. Cool. cool. Yeah, I would I would be interested in getting just kind of like a blank spreadsheet like set okay. up for you. <laughs> and I think that would be really great maybe for our listeners as a resource to have just mm-hmm. a template they can use. So Jennifer, I look, I, I don't mean to take over, but you know, it's your turn. <gasps> it's like it's gonna get to me eventually. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Well, my background is from a small radio station here in Lexington, Kentucky, and we were pivoting in what we were doing and started focusing more on podcasts in general. And then, so I was learning my skills that way and getting paid. I was salaried with the radio station, so I was getting paid for that. But then I was like, hmm, maybe this is something I could go out on my own and do. And so I had joined some of the podcast Facebook groups, like podcast movement community and, you know, things like that. But it was the podcast movement group. And a guy on there just posted, every time I hire someone, I ask them what podcast they listen to. And I was like, huh, interesting. I wonder what this guy does. So I, you know, (laughs) stalked him on Facebook, see what this guy does. And then on his profile, he's like, I'm looking to hire someone to help me with Twitter. Well, at the time, I was a student getting my degree in communication new media and Twitter was one of the things I was getting pretty good at. So I was like, hello, I'd like to help you with Twitter. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, huh, wonder if you need a podcast editor. So we get on the phone. Yeah, like a phone call. You remember those things? Yeah, like on the phone, <laughs> not even a Zoom call. And we're going through this and I keep trying to kind of manipulate the conversation a little bit so that by the end, he's like, you know what? You should edit my podcast. And I'm like, (laughs) boom. Yeah, I should. (laughs) So that's how that started. And then my second client, I must have found in the Facebook group too. And he couldn't afford my low rate. So he was paying a low, low rate because I was, he was client number two on my own and I needed to, you know, figure out what I was doing. But that was like the worst three hours of my week. And at least three hours and it's like, oh my gosh, I will never do that again. And I've more than doubled my rate since those days. Thank goodness. <laughs> but that's that's how I found my own. And so I encourage people to look on Facebook too. We laugh that whenever someone in one of the big groups says, I need a podcast editor, we all kind of flock towards it <laughs> with the mind, mind, the seagulls and stuff. But that's not what I did. I saw someone comment about something else and, you know, engage in conversations. And I've gotten clients from Facebook 
who weren't the ones, they weren't the ones who asked for the editor, but they check those posts sometimes and see who's recommended. And they saw that I was recommended on one, but she's been, she's been with me for a while. Those two original clients are no longer with me. So I didn't have to have the, I'm going to raise your rates conversation because they fell off because they weren't paying enough for it to be a value. So That's nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't have them anymore. I have people paying five times that much. So. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. So do you guys have success finding clients in the Facebook groups? Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, but in a very indirect way, because I think that mm. it is through just being present being part of the community and just giving help whenever you can. People get to know you. And so when they're ready to hire an editor, they will seek you out and book an appointment with you to talk about what you do. And, you know, I think that it is probably better. Like I will comment on those posts it's when the bigger groups where it's like, does anybody know an editor? And I will not comment that, I am a podcast editor. Well, tell them I'm a podcast editor, but then I will give them resources like our Just Busters group if it's in a the She Podcast, where they can go find a female editor specifically, or I will you know point them to who was it Brittany Show who told you how to hire a podcast editor. Like I will flip the script a little bit and not actually advertise myself, but just be like, okay, well, you're looking for a podcast editor. Here's some helpful information and some resources for you. Uh, and I've gotten clients that way too, because it stands out. Being helpful. People yeah. like yeah, be helped. It's offering value. So what about you guys? What, what about our dudes? What are your tips? I, I think that... I'm interested in having a discussion about this on an, on a future episode. Yeah, future episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, so one of, one of the gaps that I see for me is that I have, right now I have about as many shows as I can handle with my current workload, but I also don't have a really good system and process in place yet to attract additional people because there's going to be attrition, right? So I always need to be out there marketing and selling. And I don't really have a good marketing and sales. I hate funnel, but I don't know what else to call it. I don't, I don't have a really good pipeline. Process. But yeah. I, I, if you don't want to say pipeline de- and funnel. Yeah. I don't like pipeline and funnel because those are, they're dehumanizing, right? right. And I mm-hmm. hate, I hate that dehumanizing aspect of marketing, but I kind of love the human parts of marketing. So I'm torn. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a basketball person, but there's always the idea that you need to have a deep bench on your team. Well, I also need to have a line of fans or something like, I don't know. And I need to have uh, a pipeline of some kind of people that either are contacting me for consulting that are also potential future. Like there needs to be something there. I'm in the same way. Like all of my clients have either come through Fiverr one way or another or have come by referral from my current clients. Yep. So I've never needed to make an effort to find new clients. They, they've always kind of come to me. So that's kind of the position I'm in now. Like I need to change that to kind of like have a better system so that I'm attracting my ideal clients as well. But you are kind of attracting them through word of mouth, essentially. Right, Because yeah. there's nothing more powerful than that recommendation. 
Mm-hmm. So I would say if you haven't had to go out and get them, that's really great. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then when I'm interested in growing, like, because it's like feast or famine, I'm either getting like five at one time or like I'll go month without any kind of yeah. progress in that front. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. So I do want to do like more consulting and more auditing and kind of these one-off solutions and just have that kind of I don't know what the word is, but just kind of like have that action going on. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to have an episode all about current client acquisition strategies. At some point, we need to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Write that down. Whoever writes things down, Brian. Brian. Oh, okay. Well, am I still the writer? Whoever it is, is probably named Brian. He's our he's our resident note taker. Yeah, he's a reason like anything's pretty much happened. Yeah, that's very true. He's a doer. <laughs> he's a doer. It looks like Sandy has a question in the yeah. chat. Do you let current clients know you're interested in more work, leveraging their networks to grow your business? So I actually i i do. Um, I have a referral program, kind of, but basically, if one of my clients like refers somebody to me and we launch the show and like we bring out like they sign up to work with me, then I give my client like an amount off their next invoice. But definitely, and like my clients, like I have a very specific ideal client, and they're all very um, like they have their own kind of gatherings type thing. So like they all interact with each other. So like it's really useful for me because like one of them can put it out into their group. Like, hey, if you need a podcast editor, I know a guy. So I definitely do use my current clients. I don't. So I think referral programs are absolutely wonderful and I'm I'm not knocking it at all. But just (laughs) personally, I feel like my customers shouldn't be bothered with that. I don't know. I just, that's just how I am. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, um, because I have a customer, a strong customer service background, my whole thing is it is all about my customers. Like I very rarely make it about me and I feel like letting them know I'm looking for work makes it about me and it makes it too much about me. And when I want to be focusing on them and making them feel special, essentially. And I think that especially when you're charging the rates that I'm charging, you have to kind of pamper your clients and make them think that you do nothing but serve them, <laughs> so, which is, uh, you know, I'm not, not quite yeah. like, you know, hoity twitty, but I just, I just, that is how I've always handled customer service. Like never let them see you sweat essentially. Like the house could be burning down and I'd be like, it's okay. We're going to be <laughs> fine. So. so I've had my clients ask me, if I'm taking on more work, like I know somebody. And so I haven't had to ask them. I've thought of a referral program, but I've never done it. But some of my people send me folks anyway, because they like what I do. Their friend says, hey, who do you work with? They say, oh, Jennifer, she's great. And then it just comes my way. So it's not that I'm going out and seeking it out. Although I'm like, huh, this is a good idea. Maybe next time I send out a email to people will go, oh, and by the way, if you know anyone who needs editing, give them my number. <laughs> you know, So I'm like, yeah. that's not a bad idea. I might have to start sneaking that in there. So thanks for the idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in the boat of I probably should, but I don't. And so to, to answer you directly, Sandy, uh, not yet. I, I've got a couple of 
interesting thing. So my longest client, which would be Scott, the guy that I started editing for free, has sent several people to me for consulting. I haven't really picked up any editing from that, but I've definitely had some consulting come through that way. One of the people that I work for actually has a media production company. And so I do editing for her under her business's name. And I haven't really asked her for referrals too much. She's, you know, we've talked about it. And if she knows somebody that's looking for an editor that doesn't want full on production, she's glad to send them to me. But I don't want to put her in a position where I've also asked her to refer her competition to me. So I haven't really pushed on that one. But that's, uh, that's something I maybe could revisit and see how I could approach that in a way that benefits her as well. Yeah. And I think that's really, if it benefits your customers, then absolutely do that. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't, I know I said that I don't do that, but I don't have a problem with that either. Like it, mine is really just a personal decision. And also I like to control the ebb and flow of my customers. So I don't want bad timing to happen where like, because <laughs> clients don't act on things immediately. They don't act on things like that immediately. So like six months later, you know, I don't want them to refer like three people at once because that's onboarding mm -hmm. those three people is going to be totally chaos, total chaos too. So that's, that's another reason. But definitely I've had clients ask me if I'm taking on new clients, if I'm interested in talking to somebody. And I, I will absolutely say yes to that, at least to get to know them. And I think it's totally okay to like uh, ask other editors if they know of anybody or, you know, I refer potential clients to editor friends all the time. Like, you know, I do it for these guys. So that's another thing that you can do is let other editors know because unless you're like a volume business, you can really only handle so much work. Mm -hmm. And so I like to know, I like to kind of keep tabs on who's taking clients and who's not. I am. <laughs> okay, so Jennifer first, <laughs> and then everybody else. But yeah, I will, yeah, yeah, and that might also be another future topic that we could talk about, which would be the idea of a, a volume or a scaled business versus a boutique business, yeah, uh, and the the difference between those. Because I I view what I do as more of a boutique business. I have aspirations to maybe someday have agency size, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm the right person to run that business. Now, maybe I would be when I got there, but there, there's a difference, right? Um, right. Mm -hmm. beca because as a boutique, even though I have some standard rates and standard packages, I can work with somebody and say, well, for you, we're going to do something very specific that meets exactly the way you want to work together with me with the budget that you have. Where, you know, if I've got you know three options and it's this one, this one, or this one, and I'll assign you an editor and a project manager – that's a bit of a different model. I had the thought, like, you know, a while back, like, what, where do I want to go with this? And part of, like, the way I like the way things are is that relationship with my clients is, like, they know, like, I'm the one handling it. They can come to me with whatever issues they have. It's a much more intimate relationship than if than hiring just, like, some kind of cold entity, like a company. Yeah. And in order to do that, I've... And I, I, want, I've, I wanted to be, like, more, like, kind of building that relationship with my clients. So I started doing quarterly calls so that way they can see me face-to-face -face on a video chat and I'm more than just somebody on an email. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like, I had to make that decision at some point. What was I going to be? Am I going to, like, be somebody who has, like, 50 to 100 clients 
you know, and it's like outsourcing everything or am I going to be more hands on? And I enjoy working with my clients. Even when things get crazy, I really enjoy that relationship part. I like getting Christmas cards from my clients, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. I like meeting them at conferences and like hanging out with them. So I like getting to know. So essentially like that boutique style suits me more. Now I've been, you know, kind of shifting a little bit and, and adding in other things to the mix to kind of focus more on the relationship part, which I guess we can talk about in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think that, like, I think it, I admire people who can rock an agency. I mean, like people mm -hmm. like Daryl Darnell and Chrissy Hustler. I don't always say her name wrong. I'm so sorry I said your name wrong. And I, I so admire and I'd love to have them on the show to talk about how they did that. But yeah, that's not, I don't know that's, that's in the cards for me. Yeah, I know. Like if I get to that point, I want to make, make sure I figure out a way to retain some sort of that close relationship. I don't want to lose that completely. I don't want to manage people. <laughs> That's what That's it kind of comes down to. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it would be great. And as far as really blowing this thing wide open, there's only so much one person can do. But I don't want to manage the people part of it. And that's another, that's another go yeah. on See, for that wanna, forever. But I don't want to manage a lot of people. Like I like my small little team. We can like joke around and, and if they need, you know, if they need an advance real quick and I can do it for them, I can do that. I can't do that for like a team of 50 people. You know, I can't, I get to like find out about it's again, it's about relationships, even with my team. Like they've been with me for a long time. I feel like we're friends. And I enjoy working with them and I can depend on them, but I know what it's like to manage a bunch of people and like have somebody not mm -hmm. show up when it's critical. I don't want to have, like when I worked in a restaurant, if the dishwasher didn't show up as a manager, I'd have to wash the darn dishes. Yeah. And I don't want to wash dishes. <laughs> I don't want to be stuck in the kitchen, you know? Right. So that's that's really tough. But I don't, haven't run an agency, so I could be talking out of the side of my mouth. So I... Maybe there's a way to do it that I just don't know about. So, yeah, that definitely could be like an entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carrie, if someone wants to be a guest on our show, what do they need to do? They need to go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com and click on the little button at the top that says be a guest. You fill out a little form and you hit submit, and that's it. But there's a caveat. You get, <laughs> I'm going to say, you don't have to. You get to. You get the privilege of editing an episode of our show. Light editing, very simple, very easy. And then you can, you know, show off your skills, come and talk about it. You can use the episode as a cool thing in your portfolio that you can uh, have potential clients here. And then you can, you know, certainly for me, and I'm sure you guys can use us as a reference to help you get that next client to help you land that, that close that sale. So yeah. podcast editors, mastermind.com, click on be a guest and fill out a little form. Boom, you're done. Yeah. And we should mention the show is in Podchaser. So after you've edited that episode and it goes live, then you can tag yourself as the editor. And that can also be part of your online portfolio. We'd love to be able to do that for you. 
we've gotten the show live in all the places now, so we're pretty happy about Yay! that. Want to tell everybody? <laughs> so we're not just on Facebook. You gotta like and subscribe. Beyond watch, we want to watch us live. What we're doing live every other week. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So every other theoretically Thursday, something and sometime like that. When you when you see us at a conference, you'll have to ask us about how well four podcast editors can work together to get a new show launched in basically no time <laughs> and still be as organized as a herd of cats. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to screenshot the support tickets. <laughs> oh, gosh. I get new ones in my inbox every day. I'm like, what are you guys having problems with now? <laughs> because we have a, it's forwarding to me. The, and, the, the good like, news is whatever. if you're a new podcaster, we feel you. Like we've all launched more than yeah. one show, mm-hmm. and yep. we still had the experience doing something for the first time because we used a different service to get some experience with it. Of going, what? This doesn't work the way I wanted it to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we we feel you. And if you're an editor and you are starting to wonder if your clients are just that dense, maybe not. <laughs> maybe it's just their first time, like it was ours. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's always a learning curve to something new. And uh, I guess shout out to podcast websites for uh, bearing with our 50,000 support tickets (laughs) from Jennifer Longworth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the one sending the support tickets. Just clarify that. I'm the one who hooked you up with podcast websites. I know. They're so nice. podcast websites. Yeah, they're so nice. I've met them at conferences. I still have some of their tea from podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, me too, somewhere. So, uh, yeah. I would like to say a a quick thanks to Sandy and to Mikhail for hopping into the chat and asking questions and adding your comments. I really appreciate that. If you have a website that you'd like us to link up in the episode notes so that people can know where to find you if they liked your comments or your questions, pop those into the chat and we'll grab those and stick those in the episode notes for you as well. Yeah, because the Podcast Mastermind is all about supporting our professional podcast editors. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We hope to see you again here on Facebook in two weeks. And you can download, subscribe, like, share. Because, you know, if you leave us a rating or review on Apple, it helps us to get seen by more people. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even say that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But it does help our ego. So, uh, and there's some days that are rough that we need that little, that little uh, high five and those five stars. We do. So, and we will give them right back to you in love. So. And also, before I forget again, we do have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast editors mastermind and a group. So look up podcast editors mastermind Facebook group and join us there. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. (laughs) Bye.